I'm Bonnie Lin, Director of the China Power Project and Senior Fellow for Asian Security at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we are discussing the new report released by the State Department's Global Engagement Center in September, titled, How the People's Republic of China Seeks to Reshape the Global Information Environment. This report dives into how the PRC has been manipulating information and how effective its efforts have been. We will also discuss what the global community should do to address this rising challenge. Here to discuss this and more is Dr. Daniel Kleiman, Director of the Global Engagement Center's China Division. Dan has previously worked in the Office of the Secretary of Defense for Policy, where he served as Senior Advisor for Asian Integration. He was the former Program Director and Senior Fellow for the Indo-Pacific Security Program at CNES. He has also worked at the German Marshall Fund as a Senior Advisor for the Asia Program. Dan is an expert in Asia-Pacific strategy, with a particular focus on U.S. competition with China. Thank you for joining us today, Dan. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Dan, I'm grateful that you are here to share with us insights from your new report. Maybe we could start with the question of what drove the State Department to research and publish this report? Why is discussing and understanding information manipulation by China so important? What goals are you hoping to achieve here? Absolutely. It's a great question. So starting with what motivated this report, number one, really kind of the stakes involved. Ultimately, what is at risk is, is nothing less than the future integrity of the global information space. And if successful, the PRC's efforts could really transform the global information landscape, creating biases and gaps that lead nations to make decisions that subordinate their economic and security interests to Beijing. So clearly very high stakes. We also saw a real need for a foundational and comprehensive analysis of PRC information manipulation. There's a lot of great work out there by scholars and experts focused on specific aspects of this issue, but there's not really a kind of a holistic framework for understanding the totality of Beijing's approach. So Bonnie, you also asked why discussing and understanding PRC information manipulation is, is, is important now. And so from our perspective, I mean, the PRC seeks to shape the global information space to advance its objectives in the security and economic domains. But if you look at Beijing's actions in these domains, its use of propaganda, disinformation, and censorship uh, is really less understood. So it's important to shine a spotlight on Beijing's tactics and techniques in what is a relatively understudied area. You also asked about sort of what is the goal of releasing this report? Obviously, that's, that's a really key question. From our perspective, building a common understanding of the challenge um, is, is super important. It's a prerequisite for collective action. And this report's intended to inform audiences targeted by the PRC's information manipulation and to broadly empower foreign governments, civil society, academics, and media to really come together to uphold the integrity of the global information space. Dan, on your point of establishing a common understanding of the PRC challenge, are there still varied understandings or disagreement between our closest allies and partners on this issue? So, Bonnie, it's less that in that, again, we've seen more in the, the sort of academic and in expert space has been focuses on kind of particular tactics or techniques and not the totality. And, and I suspect we'll kind of have a, a long conversation 
about the, the five elements of PRC information manipulation that we really dive into in this report. But what we were really looking at was to try to stitch together, not just kind of leveraging propaganda and censorship, which is often kind of the focus of uh, external studies and, and more looking at some of the other tools that kind of come together. So for example, we have things like promoting digital authoritarianism or pairing cooptation and pressure. And so I think from our perspective, it was really to, again, broadly help anyone affected by this issue, anyone who potentially is in a position to kind of respond, to understand kind of all the different tactics and techniques and how they come together. Thank you, Dan. Before delving into the specific elements of the report, which I do want to unpack, I want to ask you, how much does China prioritize telling its story well? And specifically, are you seeing China spending more both time, energy, and resources telling a story well in the recent years compared to prior years? Thanks, Bonnie. It's definitely a priority for the PRC, uh, but it's not new. If you look at like 2013, President Xi Jinping directed state media to essentially, quote, like, tell China's story well. So this is not sort of a, a very recent phenomenon. In 2021, President Xi again pressed state media to strengthen the propaganda and tailor precise communication methods to influence audiences globally. So this is, is really kind of a long-running priority. In terms of resourcing, I mean, we don't, in the report, do kind of a year-by-year -year breakdown. Broadly speaking, I mean, Beijing's put its money where its mouth is, spending billions of dollars annually on foreign manipulation efforts. Uh, if you look at kind of one very specific area, which is the growth of state-owned media globally, outlets like Xinhua and others, I mean, you've seen a kind of significant uptick over time. So it's it's clear it's a priority, whether it's uh, in terms of kind of the, the statements of obviously the PRC's leadership or just in terms of the resources involved. Great. Now let's delve into the report. So your report is divided into five different elements of PRC information manipulation. And Dan, you already mentioned a number of them, including leveraging propaganda censorship, promoting digital authoritarianism, exploiting international organizations and bilateral relationships, pairing co-optation pressure, and exercising control over Chinese language media. Would you be able to briefly explain each of these elements and give an example of problematic PRC activity? After that, it would also be useful to talk about how these elements work together to contribute to the reshaping of the global information environment. Happy to. So I think before we kind of dive into all these, probably worth taking a step back and just to note kind of the, the thread that goes through all five elements is that ultimately even what Beijing seeks to achieve is to essentially maximize the global distribution of biased or false pro-PRC content and to really at the same time kind of suppress critical voices. So that is kind of the thread that runs through all five of these elements. In terms of the, the specific elements, and I'm not going to I mean, hopefully folks will, will read the report, so I'm not going <laughs> to give like an exhaustive uh, detailing of each. But in terms of leveraging propaganda and censorship, I mean, what this really involves is two things, maximizing the distribution of false or biased pro-PRC content and expressing those perspectives that clash with the PRC's preferred narratives. On the essentially promoting kind of content side, I'll highlight a few areas and maybe a couple very kind of concrete examples. There are things like, which I mentioned before, the expansion of state-owned media outlets, direct purchase of foreign news media outlets, where you see traditional direct ways of purchasing, as well as we have an example from Thailand, where essentially PRC state media circumvented Thai law and acquired a popular Thai radio station through a Thai intermediary. You see the use of online influencers. For example, as of 2021, there were about 100 influencers disseminating official PRC messaging 
and at least two dozen languages on multiple social platforms. You see efforts to essentially publish PRC-made content in foreign media outlets. Some of this is, is straightforward. So for example, a CCTV provides free video footage of television scripts to 1,700 foreign news organizations and media groups. But you also see efforts that are not overt. So for example, we have a vignette in the report looking at in an East African country, the PRC essentially ha having an agreement to run for payment articles in a newspaper that would not be directly attributed to the PRC. On these suppressing perspectives that clash with PRC's preferred narratives, you've seen everything from, for example, manipulative social media tactics to monitoring communications, as well as even things like diplomatic pressure. So there's an example in May 2022 that's interesting, actually, from Israel, where the Jerusalem Post publishes an interview with Taiwan's foreign minister, and then the paper's editor-in-chief later tweets the PRC embassy tried to have him essentially pull down the interview and publish a retraction, and ultimately they, the Jerusalem Post did not. But again, kind of an interesting mix of both suppressing critical voices as well as promoting positive content. Turning to digital authoritarianism, there's exporting information control technology tactics and norms. So disseminating not only technology, but also promoting the tactics that go along with that. So for example, in, as of 2019, PRC information controls actually diffused to 102 countries. Obviously, uh, that is dovetailed with promoting authoritarian norms of digital governance in international organizations as well. And then you see on how this kind of reinforces PRC information manipulation. One, it, it really allows for refinement of overseas messaging and censorship, as well as advancing a global structure for surveillance and censorship as well. Dan, if I may interrupt before we go through the other elements. You mentioned that China has distributed information control technology to 102 countries. Do we have a sense of where those countries are? Are they mainly countries that have signed on to China's BRI and mainly in the global south? Or is this much more diffuse than that? Ultimately, you see the dissemination of these information control technologies, mainly in Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East, what some term the global south. Great, thank you. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. You were talking about promoting digital authoritarianism, and I very much am also interested in the other three elements, including exploiting international organizations and bilateral relationships in the other two. If you could perhaps briefly explain the differences, as well as if there are any really illuminating examples of Chinese activity in those three different elements. Absolutely. So let me start with uh, what we call element three, exploiting international organizations and bilateral relationships. And again, to kind of to go back to my earlier comments, we really wanted to put out something that was comprehensive. And this is an area that, that was more kind of understudied in terms of the informational domain and, and how the PRC was really trying to use international organizations and bilateral relationships to achieve effects in the international information environment. So in multilateral organizations, I mean, we see, for example, the PRC really pushing back in multilateral fora against narratives that run counter to its foreign policy objectives. There's a few kind of notable examples in the report in this area relating to Taiwan. So for example, in the International Telecommunications Union, essentially references retroactively being changed from, quote, Taiwan to, quote, Taiwan, comma, China, or, quote, Taiwan, province of China. We also see more recently in 2021, the PRC again unsuccessfully attempting to force through a revision to the United Nations Code for Transport Locations that would have uh, damaged Taiwan's role as a key node in global supply chains. So again, that's really kind of using the information space in multilateral fora to achieve kind of larger goals. 
We also see in multilateral for uh, essentially the PRC trying to amplify support for its preferred narratives. This is probably most prominent in the case of the Belt and Road Initiative and the PRC, again, using uh, the UN system to try to essentially frame the Belt and Road and more recently its uh, global development initiative as uh, kind of analogous and kind of intermingled with the UN's own sustainable development goals. In terms of kind of bilateral relationships, I mean, there's the Things like high-level summits and agreements where the PRC essentially comes together to have announcements after summits amplify its preferred narratives. And then with close partners, you see things like high-level summits and agreements that have commitments to cooperate on what the PRC would call disinformation, again, a label that Beijing really attaches to the narratives that it perceives as threatening to its interests. And then also on bilateral partnerships, I think it's worth talking a little bit about how in the report we focus on some of the things that PRC does domestically. So really trying to to lobby in open societies and pulling proxies on its behalf to essentially shape the information environment in countries, really taking advantage of kind of an asymmetry where in in open and democratic societies, Beijing can operate in that way. Similarly, in rule of law countries, we see that Beijing employs essentially legal tactics against critics to try to silence them and encourage self-censorship. And there's there's an interesting example from France where essentially a French scholar was speaking to the connections between Huawei and the, the PRC government and was subject to an attempt to, to essentially have a, a legal action against that scholar. So again, that's that element. Dan, in terms of China employing proxies to operate on its behalf, you mentioned the focus on democracies and how China may have more opportunities to operate in democracies. Did your report also touch on how China may also do this in authoritarian systems? Or is it your assessment that China does not have that many opportunities openings to employ information manipulation tactics against other authoritarian countries? So the the two kind of very specific tactics that I just spoke to on, on domestic lobbying and kind of recourse to legal measures, those again, very specific tactics underneath one element are obviously more directly germane to democratic societies. In terms of the the overall kind of five elements that we went through, Pieces of them are are certainly broadly relevant, and some on digital authoritarianism, for example, are going to be much more relevant to authoritarian governments in terms of they're much more likely to kind of uptake uh, some of the PRC's surveillance technology and tactics as well. Great, thank you. I'll turn to element number four in our report, which is pairing co-optation and pressure. And so here we see the PRC, one, trying to co-opt and lift up the voices of individual elites who have potentially influential voices in the international information space. So think, for example, former political leaders. We have a kind of an interesting example in the report of a PRC-based startup accelerator called Tojoy that in Latin America and Europe, essentially on its board, uh, has kind of former officials. We also, in the report, look at subnational groups in the PRC using subnational diplomacy to, again, try to advance kind of its objectives in the informational space. That is kind of another area that we see under co-optation. And lastly, under co-optation, we see efforts to essentially cultivate foreign journalists through, for example, in Africa, large-scale journalist training programs. And again, what what I think is, is very distinct about these types of journalist trainings is you see efforts to essentially kind of discourage investigative journalism about PRC, to kind of provide talking points, to essentially shade coverage of the PRC. So it's it's not kind of neutral training or a more traditional kind of study tour, but it's, it's definitely something more than that. It's very distinct. 
On the kind of pressure side, I mean, we look at certainly measures the PRC has taken against corporations, situations where they're perceived to have challenged its desired narratives. So most kind of prominently in the report, we look at Xinjiang, an example of H&M, and kind of its, its falling sales in the PRC after it spoke out about forced labor in Xinjiang. And then we also look at pressure against individuals, including the use of transnational repression. Lastly, we have our final element, five, exercising control over Chinese language media. And in this case, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of notable that the PRC is both appetite for interference and ability to directly impact the lives of producers and consumers. And Chinese language media around the world is, is much more significant and acute than its efforts targeting media in other languages. And so what we see, again, is, is kind of the efforts to shape overseas Chinese language content. So things like furnishing content, flooding content into the global Chinese speaking language media space. We see Beijing convening international fora for journalists from Chinese language outlets. We also see efforts to exploit WeChat, which uh, is, is an application widely used by Chinese-speaking communities globally. And then on the kind of suppression side, so PRC efforts to essentially uh, contain critical perspectives, things like financial pressure against Chinese language media, technical censorship on WeChat, and also just plain harassment of kind of individual content producers on WeChat. So again, that's kind of a very high-level overview, and I'm happy to kind of dive deep on any of this. Great. Thank you very much, Dan. But I definitely have a lot of questions. Maybe immediately the one that rises relates to the exercising control over Chinese media. It's not surprising, as you mentioned, that there is acute targeting of the Chinese language media environment, given China's concern and desire to reshape at least how what they view as the ethnic Chinese community and their support for China. But beyond targeting the Chinese language media, do you see, for example, that targeting and reshaping narratives in English is a priority? What are the, for example, the languages that China prioritizes shaping beyond Chinese language media? Was that something that your report also looked at? So we we only carved out kind of a particular focus on Chinese language media. And the reason was, I mean, if you, if you look at what the PRC has achieved, I mean, it is notable how much influence the PRC has gained over Chinese language spaces globally. And in a sense, it is kind of a cautionary harbinger of kind of what the PRC, what sort of if its efforts were successful could occur more globally. In terms of other specific languages, no. I mean, as, as you kind of saw as I went through the different elements of the report, most of them are, are really language agnostic. They're much more tactics and techniques with broad application across languages. I think it would be fascinating for academics or think tank experts going forward to try to dive deep. And, and candidly, one of the objectives of this report is, is to really put forth a foundational product that can serve as a jumping off point for other types of analysis, including that. And you mentioned that one of the ways China works to propagate its messages is to collaborate or work with other organizations or other countries. I was quite interested in the report's discussion of joint China-Russia disinformation campaigns, and there was an excellent section on efforts related to the war in Ukraine. The larger question I had, however, is how extensive is China-Russia cooperation in the information space? Are you seeing, for example, that China is cooperating with Russia across all five of the elements that you mentioned that characterizes China's information manipulation? Or is cooperation more limited to one or two of these elements that you highlighted? That's a great question. We, in the report, really don't look at 
comprehensively the full scale of PRC Russia cooperation in the information domain. I think what we do find in the report is really around Ukraine that there has been a step change in collaboration. Again, in the report, we're looking at a very targeted area. But what is is notable is that you see essentially Beijing and Moscow kind of amplifying the other's disinformation. So essentially, Moscow will put out disinformation, this is again following the, the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, will put out a variety of disinformation narratives. They will be echoed in PRC media, and then Moscow will essentially take that, re-echo it, and essentially point to the PRC as essentially validation that this is a general internationally held view. So I think that is is quite unique. That's why we dedicated a fair amount of coverage in the report to it. What is also notable is that Russia has actually returned the favor in, by promoting PRC propaganda related to Taiwan and other PRC interests. We don't go into more detail on that specific issue. Again, I think it's a really interesting line of, of future analysis for folks outside government. But again, around the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, you have seen this real step change in collaboration between Beijing in Moscow, in the information space. And related to that, Dan, you mentioned some of the PRC efforts to amplify narratives regarding BRI and GDI are meant to signal that these Chinese initiatives align with the UN's own development goals. Are you seeing, across the board, an effort on China's end to portray whatever it's doing as neutral and very much aligned with the existing international order and widely and publicly supported? That's a great question and, and probably kind of more broad that I can speak to here. I do think we see, again, in kind of targeted ways with Dalton Road and, and Global Development Initiative that the PRC has very much made an effort to take what are essentially national efforts with kind of larger, obviously, geopolitical objectives and kind of link them to the United Nations. But I can't really speak to kind of overall is, is that kind of what the PRC is, is, is attempting to achieve, but I, I think in certainly targeted cases like the Belton Road and GDI, you very much see that. Thank you. Let me shift the conversation to ask about technology. Dan, you mentioned the PRC exporting of technology paired with tactics, particularly to other authoritarian countries. How are technology advancements helping China in its goal of shaping the global information environment? In other words, how has the advancement of technology allowed Chinese tactics to change, if any at all, in the past 10 years? I completely understand if this was not within the scope of your report, but I would, I'm very interested in understanding if you found anything related to this in your report. Absolutely. It's, it's a really interesting question. And I, I'd probably just step back and, and sort of almost ask, like, how has sort of the PRC's efforts evolved generally, including kind of the technology piece over the last 10 years or so. I think a couple of things. When I mean, you see in this report, great continuity in terms of the overall sort of contours of this effort in terms of really trying to promote biased and false pro-PRC content while suppressing critical voices. So that overall dynamic has, has really remained constant. So the kind of key areas of focus in terms of narratives or sensitivities for the PRC have also remained fairly fixed. So in the report, we talk about Taiwan, PRC human rights practices, Beijing's economic engagement among global economic engagement, among kind of other issues. So those have, again, endured. When you look at technology, I think the interesting way to examine it is really as kind of an enabler 
across the five elements in the report. And so there, I think you see as technology has evolved, essentially it has kind of been leveraged again underneath these five elements. So for example, if we're leveraging propaganda and censorship, which was what we called element one, as technology has evolved, you see, for example, the use of a kind of coordinated and authentic behavior to amplify diplomatic messaging by PRC officials. And there's an example of the PRC's then ambassador to the United Kingdom and essentially his communications on Twitter being amplified by sort of inauthentic uh, coordinated behavior. Again, so that's kind of a technology that, that in the last decade has, has come and kind of matured and, and being used. For promoting digital authoritarianism, element two, you see kind of early on in terms of disseminating surveillance technologies from like 2006 to 2009, we talk a bit about provision of telecommunications equipment in Ethiopia. Today, you see kind of the provision of so-called smart or safe cities. So again, technologies evolve, you see different types of surveillance technology being disseminated. For WeChat innovation, again, very much embodying technology evolving, you see uh, like WeChat replicating information controls that Beijing has pioneered at home. Again, as technology has evolved, that has kind of fed into, and this is from uh, what we call element five, exercising control over Chinese language media or, or Chinese speaking uh, media spaces. Again, technology really serving as an enabler across many of these elements. Separate and distinct from technology, one area where the PRC's approach to information manipulation has evolved is the use of disinformation. Historically, disinformation played a secondary role to propaganda and censorship. However, in recent years on issues ranging from COVID-19 to the Australia-UK-US partnership to Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, Beijing has begun to employ disinformation much more prominently. From your perspective, Dan, how successful is China in using information manipulation to shape dynamics in favor of Beijing? So, for example, if you were looking at metrics of success, do you see any examples in which China used information manipulation to significantly and successfully change the direction of policy in another country in favor of China? Or do you see examples where China used information manipulation to achieve significant diplomatic wins for China? So, Bonnie, you're absolutely right in that the objective of the report was to describe the PRC's approach to information manipulation rather than to try to grade the success of its efforts generally. And I think one takeaway for us was very much the findings in the report point to the, the scale of the PRC's ambitions in the information domain. Again, we, we didn't speak to the success, but I think the ambitions of what it's trying to achieve are, are quite clear. If you look at the report, I mean, what we did find was you might call them micro successes or micro failures. So for example, a particular tactic working. So we have an example from East African country of, of essentially pay for content to be placed under uh, a masthead where the PRC was able to obscure attribution. We also have an example of what you might call a micro failure. There is an effort the report details where Beijing, as part of the China-Pakistan media corridor, seeks to gain pretty significant control over Pakistan's domestic information environment. The scope of the proposal, which it doesn't appear Islamabad actually seriously considered, is notable. So again, you see micro successes and micro failures in the report. I do think, though, from the report that the one area where there's a very clear success for Beijing is its efforts to gain control over Chinese language media. This area is really a cautionary example of how the broader information environment might evolve if the PRC's efforts succeed. But again, the purpose of this report was not to comprehensively grade the effectiveness 
of PRC efforts to reshape the global information landscape. Thank you, Dan. And I completely understand that your report was not meant to grade the success or failure of China's information manipulation. But I did want to ask about what you see as some of the challenges and setbacks for China. Are PRC information manipulation efforts less successful now because countries are generally more vigilant and aware of different PRC tactics? Are you also seeing, for example, that even countries that are close to China may be wary of PRC information efforts against them? So what we definitely see in the report is that PRC has a very comprehensive and formidable approach to shaping the, the global information space, but its, its efforts have definitely encountered setbacks in democratic countries in particular. And this is, is due in large part to resistance from local media and civil society. Ultimately, I mean, where you have strong rule of law, strong investigative reporting, independent experts working on the PRC, it is a lot harder for the kind of tactics and techniques described in this report to succeed. So I think for us, that was kind of a common through line, again, of the report that when you do see highly capable energetic media, civil society, it's just much more challenging for the PRC's information manipulation to gain traction. Thank you. I'd like to conclude by asking you one final question. How should the United States work with our allies and partners to address this growing challenge? I'm sure there are efforts already well underway at the Global Engagement Center and State Department at large. But what would you advocate as key takeaways from your report in terms of policy recommendations or implications for our allies and partners? That's a great question. And ultimately, I mean, this report is really meant to provide, again, a basis for shared understanding of the challenge posed by PRC information manipulation. On the government side, I mean, I, I can say that, I mean, the United States works closely with allies and partners on this issue. It's really important to align not only understanding, but policy responses. The U.S. government is doing so and working closely, again, with like-minded allies and partners on this issue set. So to go into a little bit more detail about what the U.S. is doing with other allies and partners, in recent months, the United States has entered into memorandums of understanding with like-minded nations to counter foreign state disinformation. These MOUs establish a common set of guidelines that will allow us to build a shared understanding of disinformation and enhance partnerships for collaborating to counteract this threat. This enhanced cooperation on countering foreign information manipulation includes national and multilateral strategies and policies that strengthen institutions and support capacity development for civil society, academia, and the media. In some ways, it's a mistake to focus too much on governments that ultimately, though, the front line here is, is often really civil society, media, that historically these have been the actors who have really been able to kind of push back in kind of real time with great success in some instances against kind of efforts by the PRC to manipulate the information environment. And so I think from our perspective, obviously government-to-government collaboration is really important and is occurring, but really we hope this report will serve as a resource and a jumping off point for groups outside of government as well. So again, independent media, NGOs, think tank experts, academics, we're all working on this problem set and, and are really uniquely positioned to be part of the solution as well. So it's, again, not just solutions from government, but very much whole of society effort here. Well, thank you very much, Dan. I really appreciate you joining to share this critical report that highlights how China is operating in the information environment. And I very much appreciated how you impact a very complex topic into five key elements that are much easier for 
the general audience, the public, civil society to be able to understand. Thank you again for joining us today. Thank you so much, Bonnie.